0: Hey, everybody, it's Tanya, and we've got a little bonus in your Truth Be Told feeds today. It's a combo I had with Walter Thompson Hernandez, one of my favorite people. He's the host of California Love, an Elias podcast, and the author of The Compton Cowboys, the new generation of cowboys in America's urban heartland. Walter and I hopped on Instagram recently, and it was such a life-affirming conversation. So today, we're sharing it with you. I hope you enjoy it and I can't wait to talk with you again next week. You know, the last time I saw you, Walter, was in March. It was literally a few days before we were all in lockdown. And then, yeah, and then your book came out in April, Mm -hmm. right in the thick of the pandemic. How you doing?
1: I'm doing good, you know, um... It's been like a really strange time, I think, for, for all of us, right, and, and and maybe kind of like weird to like ha- promote, you know, a book and like a podcast during this pandemic, but it's like, you know, it's also a reminder that, you know, like art also sustains us, right, and and like while we are in this pandemic, you know, it's like things we listen to and like things we read that um they really help us cope. So it's been cool, you know, Um, I'm just trying to stay healthy and, 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 and stay positive, you know, just like everyone else.
0: Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about the intersection of art and activism and how art really gives us context and understanding of historical times, like just how important art is in this moment, because it's gonna kind of be the blueprint for us in the
1: future. Yeah, no, 100%. um, I feel like so much of what we do is is for the future, right? Like, it's of course for the present, but it's for the future. Like, I feel like, you know, what we're doing now if so that in like 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, people could like look back and be like, okay, in 2020, this is how folks were living. Like this is how folks were like, you know, adapting and like, you know, surviving essentially. So yeah, our yeah. super important. It's really important.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the podcast, California mm-hmm. Love, which I'm so in love with. And, you know, the thing about a limited series is that it's, once you find out something's limited and you're not going to continue to get it, it makes it even more, sweet you know it's you savor it tell me what are some surprises that you learned about yourself during this whole process
1: oh man <laughs> um it's been like such an interesting process you know like it was my first time working with like audio and sound right so like my team was like really incredible um like our, our producers were, were are so talented mm-hmm. i know how to tell stories right like i know like what makes a really compelling story and like how to develop characters and like how to establish like a narrative arc and, and all that stuff but I was really new to like sound and podcasting so I feel like being paired with like a lot of the people on our team was really um, like really cool and and, and really dope because like it just like helped me tell stories in like this like really sort of intimate like sound format you know which Uh like I knew like radio and like sound was like really beautiful and intimate but I had no idea just like I'm saying I I had no idea just how personal working with sound is and, and just like how Captivating and it kind of forces you to to be even more creative, right? Because like we can't use our eyes, so we have to sort of like create these like audio worlds to, to to allow people to like see and feel the like texture of the stories. But um, it was a really cool experience. You know, like it was really it was really great to be able to like come back to LA and to tell you know like LA stories that I've always wanted to tell. Usually like I've been documenting you know communities like both in LA and and also around the world, and so come back home and to be able to like really tell stories about my own childhood and my own sort of like personal upbringing was really important you know and also important because like I think when a lot of folks like hear me you know in California love like they don't really hear a traditional podcaster you know like they hear some yeah Yeah, right so like they hear someone who who could be a cousin or a neighbor and and I really appreciate that you know it it makes it feel more intimate.
0: I know I I think I already told you I feel like you're like my brother and every time I hear your voice the way that you even speak is so authentic because it's exactly who you are in the podcast form and i make that distinction because it's often hard as an audio person once you put a mic in front of you and you have the headphones to capture that true authentic voice i want to ask you about the process of choosing the topics for the episodes you said you always knew you wanted to tell these stories But there's kind of an excavation process that happens. I know from your book, which I want to talk about, that you had to go through the process of not just telling the story of the Compton Cowboys, but also interrogating your own experiences with them and your own experiences in your life as a part of that narrative. Give us a sense of how you were able to pare down such an expanse of life to just a few episodes.
1: Yeah, yeah it was really tough, right? It was really tough because like, there's only so many episodes in, in a season, right? And, and there's also like, certain ways to like t- tell different stories. I think like, the first story that I, that I kind of wanted to tell, like was that story about Scare Straight, like was like my yeah. involved in Scare Straight program and like what it meant to be like a young graffiti artist in LA. I feel like, you know, it's interesting cause like a lot of my friends, you know, were like, we had no idea, you know?
0: Walter, you totally don't seem like a Scare Straight dude. I mean like.
1: Oh, I know, I know. like. That's what made this so personal, right, because like, you know, like on paper, I'm like, oh, you know, Stanford, New York Times, like, yeah. like, you know, and, and, and sort of like that sort of quote unquote resume, I think evokes like a certain image, right, of, 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 of someone, but like really, I'm, I'm, I'm literally someone from the hood who got really lucky, who worked really hard, right. And so, so I think um, like Scare Straight for me was really important to tell because like, I knew that story was like so valuable not just as a way to like personally heal from, from those experiences, but also because like so many other like young black and brown men in Los Angeles were also sort of like criminalized in a similar way, right, mm-hmm. for like, you know, being artists and, yep. and for exploring art in a way that like allowed folks to really heal from like really traumatic experiences. So, you know, like the theme of like most of the story that I work on is that like there's this idea of, of what happens on the surface and then there's like, you know, like a, a much deeper story. So So, I feel like scare straight was, was really an opportunity to like take something that people know so little of, right? I think people mm-hmm. have what a graffiti artist looks like, what graffiti is. Um a lot of folks think it think it's it's vandalism and it might be, but it's also like a, a way to heal from, from from uh trauma as well. So um yeah.
0: Yeah. Um do you have I'm I'm writing here at the top, I'm trying to pin it yeah. for people. I told you I'm Teddy Riley. I, I have no idea. And I'll answer, okay, wait, let me press send and then let me press pen, hold and pin. Oh. Look, I don't know. Anyway, we're just not gonna do it. So um, yeah. even still you knew, so the scared straight story you knew, I can imagine, did you always know you wanted to talk with your mother?
1: Mm. <laughs> um, I kind of did, but but also I kind of didn't, right? Cause I feel like, you know, uh, like, You know, speaking about like deep emotions, I think often like a lot of folks who have to migrate to this country, you know, a lot of people really sort of like compartmentalize like like, really, you know, like migration can be really traumatic for a lot of people, right? So Mm -hmm. for folks like my mom and and other people in my family, you know, like a lot of people haven't really spoken about their emotions ever, right? There, There sort of hasn't been like the space or the opportunity to really sort of like have the privilege to like unpack emotion or like unpack like trauma or like, you know, just really think about their lives because they've been so so busy working, they've been so so busy sacrificing for us, right. So yeah. I think what's unique about that story is that like like others in my generation, you know, I think like we're one of the first to really have the like opportunities to really ask our parents questions, right, to really, uh... you know, like unpack like intergenerational trauma, you, you know, how like stress and like violence has it's, it's sort of passed down like through like, you know, generations. So I think for me, like, my mom is like one of my best friends you know she's like a big homie and she's like a sister she, she uh, she's my mom she's everything right and so um you know it's, it's interesting like it really felt like we weren't even recording something it felt like we were just like catching up and and, and talking
0: and she exuded that too like she's such a natural it just felt like i was yeah. in the room in the corner you guys didn't know i was there listening to your conversation all
1: right all right no no it's like she's so great like she's like like such a big personality and and I really loved how she really took it there you know like I didn't know how far I could like you know ask her questions or like push her to answer and, and I didn't want to pressure her, but like you know she kind of took it there like her like explaining like that one experience on the bus like how she started mm. car- workers like that to me just was you know sh- she's kind of told me that story but never told me like that story with like such great detail and yeah. I just think it's really important, you know, because I feel like, you know, so many of our moms, right, like, have never had the opportunity to like tell us mm. stories. Right? And I feel like my mom is special, but like so are all our moms, right? Like, That's true.
0: You know, were were those memories for her in um, that candid nature, like right at the surface, or did you work with her with the, on that? Because you, of course, as you mentioned, you've been going through this because you had to write a book, so you're used to your feelings like parsing out your feelings as a writer um it sounded as if she just you turned on the mic and she went for it but was there a process
1: yeah yeah um it was a process you know like sometimes i had to probe her a little bit you know but but also like you know at at this point like i know how to ask people questions asking folks really deep intimate personal questions for like a few years now around the Mm -hmm. world so i feel like with my mom though it's different right because like my mom's not in like an interview subject you know she's not like like you know, in, in, like a subject in, in, by, by any form, like she's my mom. So I think because of that, like it sort of gives me like, I know how she's gonna respond, but I also know like when to stop asking questions and also, you know, just like when to allow to her uh, to, 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 to keep going, you know? So yeah, it, it was really cool, it was really interesting.
0: Yeah, you know, someone messaged me yesterday after saying that I was gonna talk to you and said, um, I sobbed like a baby at the Kobe episode And, you know, of all of them, I've listened to all of them thus far, except for that one. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, we really mourned Kobe in a profound way, the entire world. But I knew you were going to be deep and intimate. I knew you were going to take it to a place of the personal. And I just wasn't ready to sob, is Mm -hmm. probably it. But is there a particular episode that stands out as one of your favorites?
1: I think the parents episode to me was like was really a favorite for me because you know it's funny because I was actually talking to my mom about this yesterday like we were talking about like California love and like you know kind of how it was a different form of writing for me right it was mm. like like radio and like podcasts yep. different than like you know a 2,000 word like New York Times feature or like a book right right but, but to me you know like I, I've been working so much in the non-fiction space. As a New York Times writer, you know, every story is, like, really rooted in, like, you know, deep, hard truths and facts, right? And so for me, like, you know, one thing that I've always loved to do since I was a child was, like, to, to write in, like, the fiction and fantasy space, right? And so Parrots was, like, really, I think, an opportunity to, to actually do that and to sort of, like, create a narrative and, and, and really write a story that was rooted in, like, social justice, right? That was rooted in, in, in migration and, like, belonging and identity, told through the experience of a of a, of a green parrot in LA. Right. So so it was like, you know, and and it was really, you know, like, I think a meditation and commentary on our current situation system, um, Mm. in ways that were like both direct and indirect. Um, So so I feel like working on parrots was like, allowed me to like, you know, to, to breathe the most and, and, and to really sort of fly a little bit.
0: Speaking of flying, I mean, what was it that, how did that come together to do it in that way to do it as a first person, really you playing the role of a parrot?
1: Yeah um it was like our our um our editor Arwen was like hey like this is a great, you know great idea great story and she, she was kind of the person who was like hey like why don't you write this in in in, mm. in first person um it'll be more personal um it'll be more uh, powerful and that's kind of what I did and, and like it, it was essentially like Arwen was like I want you to write me like a, a children's story and I was like all right
0: mm. cool. I keep hearing about that episode from lots of Folks too um I want to take questions from our audience. And also, what I didn't say at the top is that in addition to talking about California love, um, we could talk about anything. Any questions that you guys have, I want you guys to send them to us. Um, I also want to say that you're going to be kind of a wise one in true truth be told style. You know, we have a wise one to answer questions. If you have a dilemma that's not necessarily like tied to Walter's work, but you want him to answer it, you know, as a person of color. Walter, what has it been like? And, and I'm asking you this as someone who has been in the business for quite some time as well. Um, is there a weathering, or have you felt a weathering yet of being a person of color in white spaces and, and being this intimate and sharing these types of stories that really get at the heart of like the authenticity of the LA that you know, as you say at the beginning of every podcast? Mm,
1: right. Um, I think that's a great question. I feel like every story that I work on, like, you know, t- to be very frank and very honest, like, my stories, like, I'm not thinking about white people when I make stories, right? Like, mm-hmm. to be to be completely frank and honest and transparent, like, I'm thinking... But well, wait,
0: wait, 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 how did you, how do you get there? How do you get there where you're thinking, this is not for them, this is, you have a specific...
1: For sure, for, for sure, yeah, it's like, you know, it's definitely been a process, right? Because I feel like when you first start out, whether it's like journalism or like, the academy, or whether it's like art or film or whatever, right? It's like I think there's this sort of like there's this idea that you know if white folks don't understand something, then it won't be interesting, and like it won't be appealing, right? So we kind of have to like think about the white gaze, right, and like really sort of like adapt our stories for them, like that's what like history has shown, right? But I think in recent years, and and you know I'm, I'm not the only one who, who who feels this way, right? I feel like a lot of us have gotten more specific about our stories, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And when I'm creating something, I'm thinking about my mom. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. my cousins. I'm thinking about like my neighbors and my friends and my family. And I'm like, you know what? If if, if it doesn't resonate with them, I didn't win, right? Like, yep. Yes, you know, because like to me, like that's a litmus test, you know. Like it's not like someone in Connecticut or, or like someone in Iowa. It's someone here in Southeast LA, right? Because like to me, it's all about access, you know. It's like if if I'm not creating things for them and for folks who look like me and, and speak like me, then, then what am I doing? You know, yeah. There's people for that, and I'm, I'm not one of those people, right? And and I think like what a lot of us are seeing though is that, and, and I think the Compton Cowboy story was like was like a great sort of indicator for this. Is that you know when we in fact get hyper specific and when we like you know like really attack nuance and like complexity and layers, that's when like these stories become more universal. Right?
0: isn't it, that so isn't that amazing like that it, we've evolved to come to this understanding it,
1: it is it's really interesting right because like if we're trying to make like you know work and art for everyone nobody really gets it exactly but if you make like work and art for like someone in particular and and and, and, and for my friends in my community then that's when it becomes universal right because like the context cowboy story for me like i was like well, I know people in like in LA or in Compton are gonna feel this, right? And 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 it'll resonate. But really, like what like shocked me about that story was that like I was getting emails and I, and I still do emails and DMs from people in like Finland, you know, Australia, like from everywhere, you know, because like we were hyper like 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 aware of that, right? But also like I think what 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 I'm realizing too is that the onus should not be on us or on me to explain the culture to like white folks, right? Right like like they have to do their work they have to do that, their research cuz like we've been doing that this whole time and like there's like a, a a really strong sense of like emotional labor that goes into that and like a lot of us are really done with that
0: yeah i mean i feel that so deeply because i, I mean i feel the exact same way i know i didn't i didn't get it i didn't hit the mark when my mother is like mm-hmm. oh yeah that was nice it's like okay <laughs> we we didn't get it um but, you know, more specifically, when I was asking, like, how do you get there? What I'm asking is something that is, is much harder to answer, but possibly you could answer it. It's like, how do you sit down in your process without having this understanding of this white man on your shoulder or in the room? Like, even when you're your most intimate self, when you're mm-hmm. thinking, I'm writing for my people, just being in this society and being in this world, like, puts you in a place of being a minority as they call us so how do you get there where you're not even on a subconscious level thinking about them
1: yeah um i think it's a process right i think it's a process because like ultimately like a lot of us still create stories but until we have like our own institutions and 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 our own production that are like fully financed by us i think it's kind of hard because like you know and and that's not to say like you know there are good like good white folks out there you know like a lot of us have 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 know white folks who, who are really good people but like it's hard because ultimately you know like I'm trying to create stuff you know for the culture right and like I'm trying to create stuff for like people who look like me and sound like me and like sometimes it's hard because like we're always sort of like you know like have to think about okay like how do we get this funding like how do we get this money for these stories like
0: right that's the other factor that is when the white man is in the room 100%. because and you have to factor that in absolutely. Yeah.
1: Right and, and like ultimately like you know I'm, I'm having like a lot of like meetings and stuff with like Hollywood folks like recently and production companies and like it's, it's interesting because like it's still predominantly white folks right. And until it's more than just the creators who are people of color, until it's like the like executives who are also people of color, I think we're like we're still going to be in, 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 in a similar situation.
0: Is it true that I heard that you're you're leaving journalism and going into TV writing?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. Um, I think, like, I, you know, I've always been really interested in, in, like, this idea of, like, evolving as a storyteller, you know, like, I like I really love to tell stories, like, both in, you know, in, in like, through text and through writing and, and, and visually, and I think for me, like, being able to, like, recognize that these stories that we work on are so beautiful and so powerful, right? Like, I don't think, like, if I didn't have the whole Compton Cowboys experience, right, which, which like started as a New York Times story, then as a film deal, because like, like nobody really teach, like like teaches you that, right? Like, no one really teaches you about like intellectual property and, and about how, how IP works and, and how each one of these stories like can be a book or like a TV series or like a feature film. So I think now that I kind of like know the game, you know, like I'm I'm fully aware that like the stories that I've been working on and, and and am working on are really powerful and beautiful and like they need larger homes. They need larger homes. You're also working on a second book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working on a second book. Um, you know, it's it's, it's interesting because like the, the Ellie episode, like my mom's episode, was kind of like um, like a precursor to this next book, right? Like this next book is really about this idea of belonging and what that means for me, like both both as a son of a of um, a black father, and Mexican mother, and and kind of thinking about like mom, like my mom's and our relationship, and like what that means for like how we think about L.A., how we think about race in L.A., but also like how we think about identity around the world, you know. I was really lucky to be a New York Times writer to work on stories about like global subcultures mm-hmm. and travel to so many different continents around the world. Mm-hmm. And I, I've i been asking people questions that I've needed answers for myself, right? Like um. deep questions about belonging that like I kind of struggle with, you know, and and still do. And so I think this next book project is, is really sort of like, a meditation on, on, on the longing for me and, and what that means.
0: How do you provide self-care for yourself? And I asked this because I think I brought this up to you before. Um, there's something that I just always think about Casey Gerald. Um, another author that I really love said like, never um, write a book, a memoir, unless your life depends on it. Unless mm-hmm. you feel like you can't really see life and continuing to live without getting all of this out of you. Mm-hmm. And so with that though, with that kind of excavation, that kind of work that you've been doing over the last few years, um, it's psychologically, emotionally taxing.
1: Oh my gosh, You thanks for, for asking this question. You know, I think like this is a question that that doesn't get brought up enough, right? And, and I feel like, you know, you've been a journalist for, for a while now, and like your work is so important and respected, and I feel like you, you understand what it means to like really put yourself out there on a daily basis. when. We create things, whether it's like a book or a film or a story or, or whatever. It's like we put so much of ourselves into our work. Mm-hmm. And me, you know, I put all of myself into my work, and like the past few years have been really taxing on me emotionally. You know, like I've been battling depression on and off, right? Because mm-hmm. so much of what I do is like I ask people tough questions about their lives, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And 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 you know, like I I sort of like and you know really inherit like that's whatever. right feeling in the room it's like I take that on so like you know having a therapist for me has been really helpful because like it's given me you know like a healthy out right like a healthy way to like process like the really sort of like sometimes really like tough things that I'm hearing that then becomes art right Mm -hmm. for me like it's been a process you know and and I'm still learning and but it's been helpful to 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 be in therapy and, and to also like you know do things that, you know, like exercise, like try to eat healthier or get my sleep in. Because, you know, like if, if we're not well, then, you know, our, our families aren't well and, and our friends. Yeah.
0: You know, you just said something really poignant um, about doing this work and then being able to transfer it into art. And there was several years ago that I was in this predicament where I was, I was a daily television reporter. And I was talking to people about these really hard difficult things I mean there will be like at the end of the day I could hardly walk into my house like I would just collapse by the emotional weight but along with that there wasn't a creative outlet where I'm doing this for a purpose beyond just information and so do you do you see that as kind of it kind of circles back to the beginning of our discussion but how art actually can be healing like it's a place where not only we provide context for people about the moment we're in, but it also is, is kind of healing on a personal level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, it's like, basically, I think like, it's, it's really crazy that, that like most times, like, like to me, well, first of all, like I'll never not like marvel at the idea that, that most times I get paid to like listen to people. I know. Right. And then to, to create something based on what I listen, based on what I heard, like I will always forever be grateful for that. Like, Honestly, I I think about that sometimes. I'll just be walking somewhere and I'll be like, "Wow, this is crazy!" Like I'm I'm actually I got a roof over my head because because of this, you know. So so let me say that right. But also, um, I think it is healing. You know, I think like like the things that we do, um, we're all sort of like dealing with like different things that are. Like, I think for me personally, like I've experienced a lot of my life personally, and a lot of what I do is like rooted. And 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 not just helping myself get free, but also others get free, right? Uh, uh. Me, it's like journalism has been really special and and really important. But like I've also found limitations in journalism.
0: Okay.
1: It's like, very rarely does a journal is a journalist allowed to like really embed their personal story or experiences into a story, and like I find that limiting. And which is kind of why like I'm I'm transitioning out of journalism because like I feel like. I'm a human being and a lot of what I feel is not always happy and I feel sadness and I feel like, you know, despair, but also a lot of joy. And I just want to be able to express that in a way that allows me to to do it freely. And I feel like TV, film, art, like all the hosting stuff, like this is like a space that really um, supports that. Right. Um, And I'm really excited about that.
0: I'm excited for you too. And you got a lot of people loving you. I'm looking at these things coming up. My brother, love all your work. Let me get to some questions that we had um, that came in for you. I have one question that, cu- that came in. I'm going to take it right now. It is, tell us about your dream collaboration yet to come. Thank you for that question.
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think like, like my dream collaboration would be to work with Andrew Lamar on something. Hmm. put it out there intention you got to speak it 100 because like it's interesting right i feel like the compton cowboys book that i wrote like that was basically like the book version of like good kid mad city his album right yes yeah Me is 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 so it's part of the canon it's so important and i feel like i would just love to work with with, uh you know with with him on something that'd be a a dream that'd be a goal
0: we gotta make that happen it is it's gonna happen because intentions for sure um Someone asks, if you could add more episodes, what topics, people, or places would you cover?
1: I think the the pandemic really affected things, right? And, like, we got really lucky because, like, so many of the episodes that we worked on, like, in terms of, like, the field work, like, the actual in-the-world interviews, like, we got them done kind of r- right before the pandemic. So we got really lucky. But, like, we had other episodes, um, you know in, in line that i also wanted to work on that like we're also like very la but also took us outside of la i can't really hmm. speak because we're kind of working on on, on things now um about, oh so yeah. it's going to be
0: kind of like not california love but like an extension of that in other places
1: well well like it was like well like we had a couple of stories that that like kind of took us like one to like uh the central valley in california
0: oh yeah yeah
1: like, we, we had a story that we were thinking about that like took us to like kind of the, like Palm Springs area, but also like a few other stories that, that were also very outlay as well. Um, yeah.
0: You're like, i tell you more, I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, this is a good one. Um, what does, well, all of your questions out there, all of them are good. I just want to let you know that. So um, one person asked, what does your brainstorming process look like? I'm fascinated by the way you approach the stories you write. Do you have the same approach when thinking about a potential topic for a podcast? So you mentioned the differences between writing a news article, a book, and then now the podcast process.
1: Right. Um, I think like it kind of starts with the same sort of format, right? Like if it doesn't excite me or interest me for me, it's, it's like, okay, you, you know, cause it's interesting too, cause I feel like at this point, it's like so many of us, especially like young folks of color, like we, we realize that, you know, like, you know, we, we are the focus group, right? Like if it doesn't hit with us, it's probably not going to hit with the rest of the world. And and I, you know I really trust myself at this point. I'm like, all right, like I've been doing it for a while, right? Like I know that I've achieved like some level of success, you know, in different forms and formats. And it's just like a like you know I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm really intuitive, and I just kind of like follow my gut and like don't ever doubt myself. I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like I love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So 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 it's like um that's kind of how it starts, right? Like with a probably like like a wild idea that probably has to get scaled back by like, you know, my editors or, or like team or something, you know, because I'm like, I'm always just, just like trying to take us there. But um, it starts the same way, I, I think like if you understand story and like, you know, trying to answer the why now question, like, why does this story matter now? To me, it's like, how we start there? Like, why does this story matter? And also like, also realizing that some of these stories don't have to be like original stories, right? Because like,
0: mm.
1: new, you know, like a lot of folks have worked on similar stories before, but it just hasn't been me. It really helps me a lot.
0: Dr. Jesse Traps asks, how do you manage professional and personal life? That's a good one.
1: How um, do you? Yeah, I think it's hard, right? Because like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always working, like, I'm always hustling, I'm, like, I'm always like, the way my mind works, like, you know, I got ADD. So I'm always, I'm always like, thinking about like, a million things in the world, you know, mm-hmm. five,
0: or
1: six different projects at once. But I think like, how I balance the, the person professional is like, I just check up on my people, you know, like, I just will, like, go for walks with my people. Um, like, I'll, I'll text people, I'll call people sometimes. It, but it's hard, right? Because, like, I, you know, I think, like, we're asked to do so much all the time. And, like, a lot of times we just want to be alone, right? Like, and, and you know, it's kind of counterintuitive because, you know, like, community is really beautiful and important, but, like, sometimes, like, being alone and in solitude is, is just as healing as, as as being around people who you really love. So I think I don't really have an answer for that, but I'm getting better at it, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's so true about solitude because it's a way to, to truly recharge yourself, I mean, in those moments of quiet. Yeah. Our next question is, how has your creative process differed in 2020 with everything going on politically, socially, and environmentally? Really good question.
1: That's a great question. Um, I think 2020 has been such a weird year like it's been like such a strange year for so many of us and like sometimes like like it's hard to, to focus it's hard to sleep sometimes um but i also think that like a lot of us have been doing this type of work for a while right and a lot of us have been like saying these things but i think in terms of like how we think about race and how we think about like equality you know um i think now folks are are are, are finally listening and, and and i think it's like to me it's like such a ripe moment to to really be thinking about what we're doing. You know, I think like this pandemic, among other things, has really sort of like made clear like what's important in our lives and, and what's not. Right? Because mm-hmm. there are folks out here that are out here dying in different ways, and I think mm-hmm. we, we don't have we don't have time to waste. We don't have energy to waste. And like for me, it, it's just made clear like what I want to be doing. Right? And like mm-hmm. that's like telling stories about black and brown people. You know. In ways that are like you know complicated and like nuanced, and that's all I want to do, really. Mm-hmm. I know
0: it's all I want to do too. Yeah, um, I I'm just really struck by you saying. I mean, I I trust myself and I really believe in myself because we don't hear that often. We see it in people, but that is an affirmation. is so powerful. I mean, it's it, it's almost sustaining. It feels
1: like. I think it's been a process right like when I first started like I remember this was like maybe like five six seven years ago when I was in grad school and I was like freelancing and stuff and you know like I've always been like a pretty confident person but I think like you know um like consistency and and being consistent with like the the work I've been doing like has really helped me understand just like I think how much power we have and like how important like these institutions like really need us to survive right like (laughs) like if they don't have us right people who are connected to the culture like people who are so so deeply tapped into what's interesting what's new what's novel then they don't survive and I feel like for me it's like I realized that a few years ago I was like wow okay so you know my stories matter like stories about my friends and my family are really important and you know I I just really trust myself like I just trust myself that that like
0: every time you say it I love it
1: I just trust myself no, 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 but it's true. I love
0: it. I know it's true. I just it, love hearing it. I love hearing that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and it's really true, you know, because I just know that, like, you know, like I'm in good hands at all times. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of people out there rooting for me. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of people out there who, like, think about me in, in good spirits, and, like, I really appreciate them and I feel it all.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, another question we have for you is what other podcasts are you into right now besides your own California
1: Love? That's a great question. So, so, so I feel like you know, while recording California Love, like I haven't really listened to podcasts. Yeah, right?
0: you've been deeply immersed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, deeply immersed. Um, I will say like you know older ones like like Serial or like, to me like Terry Gross is, is 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 so cool and and she's like one of the best like interviewers of all time. So like you know I appreciate hers. I, I listen to to um, to On Being sometimes. Um, yeah. I really appreciate all i being, but like, you know, I, I'm not a podcaster, you know, and, and, and I feel like California love to me is so much more than a podcast. It's just like an experience. It's like a piece of art. It's, 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 it's a body of work. So like, I wasn't really trying to listen to other podcasts because I knew I'd be impacted by them. So.
0: Mm, that's that is uh really interesting and likely true because when you're thinking about telling your authentic story, on a subconscious level we're influenced by the media that we consume
1: 100 percent, and also like if if most of these podcasts if it's like these, these white men like speaking like a certain way true crime or something like that like that's not my energy i'm not trying to listen to that like i'm trying to listen to like good music
0: speaking of which you talked about your talented team but man the sound designers are amazing i mean just the way that it is put together and the additional sound that really gives us scene and place
1: Mm-hmm.
0: really really good kudos to all of you
1: you know our our, our team is really incredible like elizabeth megan tamika arwin val just just a, a bunch of really talented people who who you know just help make the show happen
0: yep okay let me some more questions um what advice would you give to someone who is inspired to create a podcast because of the stories you told
1: mm. that's a really cool question um I think like in in terms of accessibility i think like technology has really allowed for like so much access in 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 the world and and the the sort of ways like anybody can really tell a story these days right and like everyone can have a platform or or, like a way to like tell stories and i feel like you know when people ask me like how do i start telling stories how do i start becoming a journalist or artist or whatever like my first response is to always start with with, like those people who, who are around you you know start your parents' questions, asking people in your community questions, and I feel like if if we start there, then it's easier to, to branch out after that.
0: Very good advice. Um, someone else asks: um, any updates on the adaptation of Compton Cowboys
1: into a movie? So, so the um, the first script has been submitted, and I think they're like reviewing it, and we're all hoping to get some greenlit pretty soon. Oh, that's that is really really exciting.
0: Um, how have those guys been doing now that everything has kind of come out all of the work that you've done on them
1: they're doing good you know like i mean i mean the common cowboys to me are like family like i don't consider them interview subjects by any means like i feel like we're we're, we're really close like i'm so grateful for you know, the opportunity that they gave me to to spend time with them and we're really close Like, so we don't see each other as much because we're all you know doing different things and so busy but like and so- corona and the pandemic right and corona for sure but um, the love and respect it will always be there.
0: Um, someone else asks, "What music are you into lately?"
1: Oh man, uh, I'm a big music head. Like I've been listening to a lot of like Blood Orange lately. A lot of mm. like Steve Lacey, A lot of um, like the Internet. Um, older jazz, like a lot of like Miles Davis. A lot of Monk. Um, mm-hmm. but, like Can't go wrong with that? No, no, no. Just everything, really. Like I love music so much. Yeah, look,
0: look, I'm like a mommy over here. What was that now? Blood, <laughs> orange, the internet. No, I'm joking. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not joking. Okay, um, ooh, let's get into some TBT action. Okay, let's let's like you are now putting on your wise one hat and you're about to give advice. Okay, our first question dilemma comes from someone who asks, how do you know when it's time to distance yourself from toxic family? And how do you do it? Have you had that experience?
1: Yeah, that, that's, wow, that's, yeah, that's, let's go there. Um, it's hard, right, because I feel like, you know, especially for, like, folks of color, like, like loyalty and family is everything to us, right? Like, mm. we're just raised with this idea that, that family is everything, and that, like, family is family until we die, that family has our back, you know? And, like, part of me really, like, I love that, like I love that about us, right, like I love that like, you know, the way that history has worked, right, like, you know, um, a strong sort of like family unit is what has allowed us to, to really survive, right. But also at the same time, it's like, you know, we, we, we all have those like really toxic like relatives, right, mm-hmm. who, who who sometimes take advantage of that and who know that we're loyal and like, and like love, love them and will, you know do shady things, right? So I think it's hard, but I feel like boundaries are really important. And I feel like you can still love someone from afar. Like, that's Mm -hmm. like, you know, a novel concept for a lot of us, right? But it can happen. Like, I'm gonna love you from like this other city, right? I know,
0: I know. And you tell them that too. Like, I just had an epiphany um, a few weeks ago after talking with someone about, I don't even need to go into all of that. Like, it was about Kanye West and, and his mental health problems and like can we separate the man from the music mm. and is it possible to still enjoy the music and mm. still not like him or or can we separate that from his mental illness all these things and i had an epiphany about that with family that like you can still love people and let them know you love them that's the thing but then stay safe distance because it's for the betterment of your own well-being
1: 90 percent yeah one hundred percent. like i i agree with that like you know it's and especially as as you get older right like our time and our energy you know just like decreases and, and we, we like we really don't have the space to be around people who we don't love and appreciate because like you know like you're not always going to work with people who you love right mm-hmm. like in my free time you like, want to be with people <laughs> yeah firm you who is like yeah it was like wait so in my free time i'm going to spend time with people who i don't really love no 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 no. that's not gonna happen.
0: i know yeah. no. Um, Okay. Another question. I want to get to another question from TBT folks, but I also want to get to this one, which I think is a really interesting one. And it said, um, you noted in the epilogue that for people um, from LA, it really feels like we are a dying breeze sometimes. What did you mean by this and how does this impact your engagement with the city?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I just feel like, you know, in so many of the like media and art sort of spaces that, that I'm in, in L.A., like very rarely do I find someone else who was born and raised in L.A., right? Mm-hmm. Very rarely. And, and I feel like, um, you know, even a lot of people like telling L.A. stories, like, you know, a lot of folks, you know, like no shade to like transplants, you know, but but like a, a lot of transplants, will, like especially like white dudes, will, like come to L.A. and, 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 and want to tell stories about South Central or, or like. Yes, yes. Stories about black and brown communities. It just feels really weird. So I feel like for me, you know, I think I'm like very rare in the sense that like I was born and raised in, in Southeast LA, and you know I I've been able to like, you know, sort of like move through the ranks in, in in this world. And you know I'm I'm off. It's often a very lonely experience to to be very honest with you, right? Like mm. only because, uh, you know, like very few people are also from LA, and, and so the onus. And responsibility on people like me and, and, and very few others you know it's a lot sometimes and, and mm. it just feels like our experience was like so unique to LA and, and so special um, and it feels like we'll never have that experience again so you know we're always sort of like grappling with like the past and, and the future and sometimes it can, it can be really heartbreaking.
0: I can only imagine that to be the case because I'm here in LA, I live in LA and um I'm thinking about all of the folks in my circle are all transplants, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's just kind of the way of life here because people move here. And so maintaining and keeping alive, like the true authenticity of the city Mm -hmm. from those who have lived it, who were born and raised here is such an important endeavor. Um, I feel that way, you know, about my hometown Detroit. I remember when I first took my, um, I took my mom and like some other people downtown, like there's been big renovations and stuff like, uh, businesses opening up there and we went into the shinola store no shade on shinola but you know shinola watches mm-hmm. and the whole store was like the detroit story and it started like the origins of detroit and the automotive companies. and it was really like this is detroit and i looked around and there were just like a handful of black people and they were all detroiters and then it was like all these white people mm-hmm. and like all of the detroiters just looked sort of gobsmacked looked like what is this? This doesn't feel true. It doesn't feel authentic. I'm saying this, and I'm really sorry. I don't want to shade Shinola. But I know what you mean about, like, others taking a story and, like, capitalizing off of that story. But is it even truly the authentic story of the people told by the people? Those are such important stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important because, like, you know, m- most stories about L.A. sort of have to do with, like, like extreme wealth or, like, extreme poverty, right? Yeah, And it's it's either about, like, palm trees or about Hollywood or about, like, the Grove or or something. And, like, you know, California Love, to me, was was just, like, a sort of, like, redefining of, like, how we think about L.A., right? You know, I'm, like, telling stories about graffiti, about parrots, about Mm -hmm. cowboys, about my mama. Like, these are stories that that if you're from L.A., you know, feel very, like, L.A. to you and, 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 and feel, like, I guess someone like, somebody like um, who's telling stories like is actually from the city, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's been a process, definitely.
0: Yeah, let's take another one, another TBT advice question. Um, ooh, this is really interesting. You know, part of your story is that you're biracial, and we we often get a lot of questions about how to navigate and deal with relatives, racist relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one question we have is, what ideas and resources can you share um, on how to navigate like white grandparents who may be saying insensitive things
1: mm. yeah that's that's a tough one because like I don't have white grandparents right but 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 I will say, um uh, I think it's hard, right because it's like you you obviously like love your family, you know and and, and you obviously like recognize that like even our family can be toxic and like say hurtful things and and be racist. But I think it just like becomes a matter of of, of how much you want to invest. Right. Because I know for me. Right. Like there are folks on on my Mexican side who were like anti-black growing up. And and, and Mm -hmm. so the moment I started to to really understand that and like realize and also push back against that and speak out every time, like that gets really tiring after a while. Right. Every time you hear something, like you say something and, and like, as a teenager, like in my early 20s, I had the energy for that. I, w- I was ready. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. we go again. But but now, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 30s and I'm just like, man, that's tiring. And also that's like, like, forget them. Like, you know, if they don't get it now, they, they might never get it. But I, I feel like it's just like having the understanding too that, that you know, the people are complicated. And, and, and I think we're all products of our experiences and in our in environments. And, you know, but, but, it, but it always comes down to how much you want to invest.
0: Yeah. You know, we touched on this, but I don't think we can touch on it enough. We have a question from Sonari who says he loves your podcast. It made him think of the phrase racial battle fatigue. How do you repair from this fatigue uh, personally, professionally?
1: That's such a great question, right? It's such a great question because like, you know, um, like I said earlier, like for, for a lot of years, like so many of us were, got so tired explaining our culture to white people, right? Mm-hmm. Got so fatigued. You know, just having to explain like our lives in in full detail and and in most situations them not understanding it or getting it, right? So I think now it's like a lot of us are done with that, like we're done explaining things for white people. We're done making things for white people. and But but it gets really tiring because you're also being like emotionally gaslit all the time, right? We're like, you know, you're you're feeling crazy and then when you bring up something to, to folks They make you feel like you're crazy, like it never happened. So like, that could be a lot to to always reckon with.
0: It is a lot. It's a lot to reckon with. But then also the desire, like, you know, this is your work and your passion to be able to tell these stories for the people that matter most in your life, all those people that you mentioned who you are actually doing this work for. So it it battles up. It comes up against that day to day thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned some of the ways that you deal with racial battle fatigue, but it sounds like like so many of us you're just still working through it
1: yeah i'm you know i don't have all the answers like i'm i'm, I'm trying to figure it out it out you know like there isn't like like a like a 10-point guidebook that that like helps if
0: you had it i think and you know you be rich and we'd be like chilling somewhere on a
1: <laughs> like you know to be honest i feel like you know like throughout our career like we're always going to deal with this in, in, in some form of fashion right um the question then becomes, though, like, how does it affect us? Do we have, like, healthy coping strategies, you know, to, like, deal with it? Do we have a community of people who are also experiencing it that we can sort of tap into and, and connect with? And, and, yeah, I think that's it.
0: Another question we have from Chris is, have you dealt with imposter syndrome? And if you have, how do you overcome it? Yeah. Well, you just told me your motto, I believe in myself. But have you
1: ever been there? <laughs> so, no, 100%. Um. I remember early on, like when I was in grad school, like I went to Stanford for, for, uh, for a master's program. And I remember like my first, like my first few weeks or months or even year at Stanford, like I thought I had to adjust, right? Like I really thought I had to like, you know, speak a certain way or like dress a certain way. Like I found myself wearing like tight khakis. <laughs>
0: <laughs> plaid shirts, button down.
1: Yeah, yeah, like ugly brown wingtip shoes, you, you know, like, like button downs. And, and I was like, 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 I remember one day I was like what am I doing? That's not me. Right. <laughs> so so like I, I feel like 100% early on like like in my early 20s I definitely had imposter syndrome. But then I was like, wait, like you know what? These folks and people don't don't really appreciate me as I am, like you know, trying to adjust to them. Like I'd rather be myself and have them not appreciate me, right? And, right. And so like like at that moment I kind of like let go of imposter syndrome. And I was like, I'm going to just wear my Air Maxes. And I'm going to wear my like, white tees. And I'm going to wear my gold, you know, because- right. the-
0: Somebody said they got to see some pictures of you and your tight khakis and <laughs> your wingtip shoes. No- <laughs> I want to see it too. No photo evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love this one. And then you got to give somebody some advice on where to get fish and barbecue south of the tin. But um, this question, how did Blackness around the world- affect the way you see yourself and feel about your own blackness? <sighs>
1: this a, is good. Yeah. That's a beautiful question. Um, it, it's important because like, I think about for, for a lot of us, right, like, my father is like a light skinned black man. And, and I feel like growing up, you know, like my only idea of blackness was like totally like African American experience, right? And, 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 and so for me, like traveling around the world, like living in places like Cuba and Brazil, and and really like you know like working in Ghana or or wherever really it just lets you know that like blackness exists on this like continuum you know Mm -hmm. like blackness is like a spectrum and there's no one way to be black right Mm -hmm. one way to look black and I think uh, you know a a lot of times like we suffer from this idea of like American exceptionalism you know and we think that like the American experience the US American experience sorry is like the only experience but I think the travel the more you realize that like we are all connected to like diaspora and we're all connected to like you know a shared understanding that like blackness is almost always viewed in the same way wherever you go in the world
0: right? mm-hmm.
1: and you mm. know I think it's just helpful to know that like it's helpful to know that like we're not alone and that like there's to could be black.
0: I know isn't it did you experience in places um, where you might be the only black person like that share, that thing we do here where we not with each other, like was, a sense of acknowledgement.
1: I take it a step further. Like I'm a hugger, you know. Like I hug. Yeah. Well, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember when I was studying in Egypt, and anytime I'd see a, another Black person, um, and they were Nubian, they would call, they would be considered Nubian. Mm-hmm. they'd immediately acknowledge like we'd be in a sea, you know, <laughs> of other people and they would always acknowledge no matter where you are. And that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Okay. The question um, from Sonari is he wants to know what's the best barbecue and fish places South of the tent. And I have my pen here too, next to my blood orange recommendation.
1: Yeah. Um, where are you? <laughs> fish. Um, I feel like I haven't had barbecue and fish in a long time, but I, but, but I, I do love doings on, on, mm. on- French offer for that chicken. I love that spot. Um, That's kind of like like, like my go to. Doolins. Okay. I will have to check
0: it out. Um, Let's see if we have some more questions for you. I want to know, I also want to know from you um, as you move forward, how do you navigate? figure out what's important you mentioned that you have ADD and you're like wanting to do so many different projects and you're going into this realm of TV but how do you prioritize your book your podcast your TV aspirations
1: yeah yeah. Uh, um, I think like that's a good question I feel like I'm I'm always working on something and I'm always trying to stay excited and hopeful about what I'm working on and I'm trying to to really believe in, in the work that I create because I feel like if I don't believe in something, like, why would you believe in it? Or, like, why would someone else believe in my work, right? So, you know, it, it always goes back to, like, you know, it, it, like, trusting myself, right? Like, it sounds cliche at this point, but but, but it really no, is. No, it
0: doesn't. We can't hear it enough, I think, for all of us, because we need to have this, too.
1: Sure, it, out the house. about that, and I feel like what I prioritize is, like, what's important. Like, right now, I'm working on, like, five, six different projects, and, like, they're all important to me. and and they're all important for, like, different reasons, they're all important, and they're all different stories, and, um, yeah, like, I'm just really excited, but also, like, I feel really grateful, like, I feel really, like, chosen upon to, like, do this type of work, and I feel like it's it's such a big blessing to be able to, like, tell people that I make a living, you know, telling stories using different forms and mediums, like, again, like I said earlier, I'll never take that for granted, you know, because I'm, I'm a child of, like, a working-class family, you know? And, and, like, you know, a lot of my family still don't understand what I do in the world. Like, like yeah. you like people and you listen right. to them. Right, right. Right, like, it's confusing. Because, um, like, you know, most of my family, like, work with their hands still. And, and I'm, yep. I'm a working-class kid. And, and because of that, like, I'll, I'll, I'll forever be grateful.
0: Walter Thompson Hernandez, host of the podcast California Love, Compton Cowboys author, new book coming up. Mm -hmm. screenplays thank you so much for taking this time to talk with us on our first insta live what's the first
1: um, Uh, it's the
0: first one i told you can you see like i can't even work anything so
1: I'm, i'm a huge fan of your work and what you do um like you're you're really important to all of us i appreciate you a lot thank you
0: thank you so much and thank you guys who joined us My conversation with Walter Thompson Hernandez was produced by Truth Be Told. Susie Racho, Isa Mendoza, and Kiana Mogadam, with big help from Kristen Hayford, Jennifer Sue, Veronica Lopez, Katie Fuchs, and Megan Tan from L.A.ist. KQED's leadership team includes Erica Aguilar, Ethan Toven, Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. Truth Be Told is a production of KQED in San Francisco. I'm Tanya Mosley.